Our text this morning begins in verse number 39. We'll be looking at verses 39 through 46. Jesus has come to the end of teaching and instruction for His disciples, having given them much counsel, as we referred to in John's Gospel, the accounts of John chapter 13 through 17. They're including His prayer on behalf of His church. But although he has, in, he has finished the time of instruction for his disciples, it's certainly safe to say that their preparation for what is coming in the next few hours is not complete. He takes him with them, with him to the Mount of Olives, in particular the place that is called the Garden of Gethsemane. There he goes to pray, not only for him to pray, but also a time for his disciples to pray, that being the the further opportunity for preparation that he gives them, that they would pray. Some have rightfully noted that it is here, as we come to this Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus begins to enter into his passion begins to enter into his sufferings of Jesus, that the sufferings of Jesus were much deeper than the physical pain and inflictions brought upon him by the hands of evil men. But there was a great suffering of heart, even as we will consider here from our text, going into the Garden of Gethsemane. So read with me here, Luke chapter 22, beginning again in verse 39 through 46. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And there at the Mount of Olives, the particular place, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he went to. And the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. One of the the rules of determining the value of real estate is three things, right? Location, location, and location. Right? How do we determine the premium that Jesus Christ places upon prayer? Location. 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 Here is Jesus in our text. The final hours before his betrayal. An arrest. In fact, the could even say here the final minutes up to his betrayal and arrest. 
What does he do? He prays. He also instructs his disciples. But the focus here in this text is Jesus prays. Now, there are, in fact, two primary truths that are, I think, emphasized in this text. One is the person of Jesus himself. When we come to the mystery, and it is a mystery, we cannot come and fully understand and and grasp the reality of two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. A divine nature that is God. A human nature that is still God. It is Christ. And one person. That Christ is not two individuals worn within one body. He's one person. And yet we see something of the, the struggle going on here. And we see the agony that he's experiencing and he expresses. And then we see the mystery of such words as, Not my will, but your will be done. What do you mean? Not my will. Isn't the will of Christ the Son, God the Son, perfectly in line with the will of God the Father? Not my will, but your will be done? Something of the mystery there, isn't there? That He is one who is perfectly and holy and and righteous. But there are the real struggles and the agonies that He experiences here in the Garden of Gethsemane. The second truth, apart from the person of Christ, is the practice of prayer. Jesus models for us prayer here in this context, but also He gives instruction to His disciples regarding prayer. And to understand that prayer is not merely a mechanically executed or performed exercise. In other words, you do not approach prayer with, all right, I have this duty to pray. Let me pray. I go through this form of prayer. I say amen and I'm done. I've prayed. That prayer is, in fact, to be much more than a mechanical activity. That prayer is the communion of the soul with God. It's where we encounter Him, where we fellowship with Him. And that Jesus is met here in this time of agony, not because He has gone through a mechanical exercise or mechanical activity and called it prayer, but because He has been met in fellowship with God the Father. Now, my focus this morning will be on the latter two of these emphases. I'm going to focus on prayer from this text. And I think in that we will have to consider something of the person of Jesus. But there's much here. This is a text as I as I think on it and preach on it. This is one of those occasions I think I just might as well stop here and preach for a few weeks. <laughs> rather than figure on being on verse 47 and following next week. 
But still, that will be my plan as we press through. But it's certainly a text that would warrant a return on some occasion. And I want us to think about prayer as God's gift to us. And it is. God gives to His people the privilege and the gift of prayer. And that we ought to use prayer. We're called to use prayer as He intends. Well, first of all, from our text, let's consider that prayer is to be for us the answer of resistance. It is to be the answer of resistance. It's noteworthy that here in our text, serving almost almost as bookends to our text here, Jesus gives His exhortation to His disciples in verse 40. When He arrived at this place, He said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then in verse 46, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So it's emphasized here in this account of Jesus praying His instruction to His disciples. And He says, You pray, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now why did He give His disciples here such a directive? First of all, it was because of the rapidly approaching events that were about to take place. His betrayal, His arrest... His trial, His crucifixion, His death. They needed to be prepared for that. And their preparation for those things was prayer. Jesus says, pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. You don't pray, you're going to fall into temptation. Second thing. Second reason that he gave such a directive here is the strength of the enemies of Ben's soul. Jesus knows the heart of men, doesn't he? And he knows the strength that the enemy of our soul has. He knows the enemy of this thing that still indwells us as the people of God, this indwelling sin. He knows the pull. He knows the power of that. And if you're not confronting that, if you're not preparing yourself against that by prayer, you're not ready to stand in the time of temptation, in the time of trial. He also knows the power of Satan himself. He knows that Satan is not one to be taken lightly. Yes, we can say with full confidence that that Satan is no match for our God. But let me tell you something. You, by yourself, in and of yourself, you're no match for Satan. We need the power of God to resist Satan. And so Jesus gives this directive to His disciples to pray that you may not enter into temptation because He knows the strength of man's enemies. He knows the strength both outward of Satan and inward of this sinful nature that we still have. Indwelling sin. He also knows the weakness of His disciples. It just doesn't take much. And they're ready to turn and run. And in fact, they do such. They do such. They turn and run. So this serves as a warning to the disciples. Yes, He's finished the time of teaching, but there's one last 
preparation these disciples need to make for the hour that is at hand. Here is your preparation, men. Pray. Pray. And if you do not pray, you will not be prepared. Great temptation is coming. The temptation to turn and run. The temptation to deny your Lord and your Savior. The temptation to abandon everything that you've embraced. Prepare your soul. So the instructed means of preparation that Jesus gives again is pray. Pray, disciples. Pray, nourish Strengthen your spirit in communion with the Heavenly Father. Simply put, the praying man is not so quick to become a sinning man. The man that has found his, his refuge in communion with God the Father is not quick to turn to sin. But the other side of the coin is true as well. That the non-praying man, the one who does not pray, is ready to be prayed upon. He's not prepared. And he is set up for a fall. For the disciples' action, what was their response? We see in verse 45. He rose from prayer. He came to the disciples and he found them sleeping from Sorrow. Sleeping from sorrow. Sleeping because of the sorrow that they were experiencing. We, we understand that they didn't quite grasp everything that Jesus was saying. We know that. They didn't get the full picture of what was about to transpire. There's this mix. There had to be this mix in their thinking of somehow or another that, that Jesus as the Messiah is going to be revealed here. But then this confusion talk that Jesus brings in about dying and being handed over to the Gentiles. All this stuff. How's it going to all pan out? It's confusing. But it seems that they were beginning to understand Something of the tragedy of the events that were coming. Didn't embrace it fully. But they couldn't ignore the words of Jesus either. So with that mix of confusion about the glories of the Messiah and yet the sufferings of, of Jesus as He spoke of them. They're feeling something of the weight. Something of the burden of sorrow that comes with that. Haven't you ever experienced that? You know something of the weight of when sorrow can come. And though there's been times in my own experience, you know, of sometimes it's sorrow or circumstance. Sometimes it's sorrow that's, a, that's the nature of a, a depressing spirit, an oppressing kind of a spirit. And I have found, just as the disciples have found here, that sometimes you just don't want to do anything to go sleep. Sleep. There's a little bit of refuge that's found there. It's a wonderful gift of God. It's something that's necessary for our bodies. But it can be also an escape, can't it? An escape from grief or an escape from sorrow. There is an appropriate time to sleep. But for the disciples, there was an appropriate time to pray. They needed to pray. Tired? Likely so. 
but they needed to pray. So the disciples' refuge in the midst of such trouble and temptation, what is it? Pray. Pray. And they did not. And is there any better? Or is there any different counsel for us today? Of course not. The human heart's still the same, isn't it? And we find as we read about the disciples and as we've considered the life of the disciples <clears throat> going through Luke's gospel for the last several months and years, that we're a whole lot like these guys, aren't we? That the human heart is much the same today, and it is the same today as it was for them, but let let us purpose that prayer be our answer of resistance in the time of temptation, dear children of God, that we pray, that we determine that the time and the way to resist in the hour of temptation is not to try to face sin and temptation with all of our might, with all of our strength. It is to fall upon our knees before God in prayer and say, Oh God, You deliver me here. You help me. Give me Your grace. Give me Your strength. That when we need to be strengthened in the face of temptation, that we become quickly a praying people. That prayer be more than the mere words that are spoken, but understand that prayer is to be a coming into the presence of God. It's reminding ourselves that we need His strength. We need His enabling grace. And it's also a reminder that ultimately we are His. Lord, I'm not free in the time of temptation to battle as best I can and then do what I will. Lord, I am Yours. Give me grace to respond in this time of temptation, this time of oppression by, by the enemy, by sin that comes. Give me grace to remember that I am Yours. The members of my body are Yours. They are not my own. And how much of the time do we not yield in, in the time of temptation? Do we not yield to the, to the attractions of sin because we fail to remember that we are not our own? Your hands are not yours to do as you would want to do. Your feet are not yours to go as where you would like to go. Your eyes are not yours to see what you would like to see. Your mind is not yours to entertain whatever thought you'd like to entertain. We belong to God. Members of Him. Members that have been committed to Him. So that when temptation comes, we go to prayer. Oh, Lord God, I'm Yours. Pray, dear brethren, dear sisters. Pray. That you do not enter into temptation. See, we do, not, we do not face temptation by our own strength and hope to have some measure of victory and then say, look, Lord, what I've done for you. That's not the way it works. Temptation is the opportunity to be driven afresh and anew to God and say, help, Lord. I need you. 
And that if there be any measure of victory, any measure of success against the time of temptations that come, we're quick to recognize God has given grace. God has given the power. So we don't take the credit for it. We give all the glory to Him. So that prayer be our answer of resistance. If I'm going to resist sin, I'm going to pray. Second, we see here that prayer is to be to us the action of resolution. The action of resolution. One thing becomes very clear in our text here. Jesus is going to the Mount of Olives. He is going to the Garden of Gethsemane there with one thing in mind. He is going there to pray. He intends to pray and pray he will. It is resolved in his heart. This is the one thing that I must do, I shall do, and that is pray. In the two accounts that we've considered here this morning, of course, from Matthew 26 and there from Luke 22. There really is a clear description of what is going on in the person of Christ, in his heart. Matthew 26, if you want to look back there with me again real quick, keep your finger there in Luke. Matthew 26. Verse 37, it says he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. He took them a little bit further. And this is what he says. The scripture says here, he began to be grieved and distressed. That there is a, there's a great sorrow that begins to take place and come out in the heart of Jesus. Then in verse 38, He says to Peter, James, and John, He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved. Deeply grieved. Even to the point of death. There's sorrow. There's grief. Tell you what Jesus didn't do. He didn't sleep. He followed his own counsel, didn't he? To the disciples. Pray so that you don't enter temptation. And they slept from sorrow. But Jesus experiences a level of grief and sorrow. And then in Luke 22, our text for today, in verse 44, just the word he describes there, it says, In being in agony... Being in agony, he was praying very fervently. Jesus was resolved that he was going to pray. If there was anything that was going to be of any help to Jesus at this point, at this hour, it was prayer. What was the nature of this agony? Why was the agony? Was he just looking ahead and 
thinking about all the the physical suffering that he was going to endure at the hands of evil men? Was it just him looking and seeing that even what appears in our eyes, it looks like by his silence that that he's wrong, that these other guys are right, and that evil seems to be prevailing over righteousness, and that he's not who he claims to be. After all, he's put to death. Is it the agony and the suffering of looking ahead to such an event and thinking, boy, I really would like to give a clear message one more time? (laughs) I don't think so. You know, there have been many who have followed after Christ, those who have been martyred for the cause of Christ. Some have endured great suffering physically. And they have endured such suffering with less emotion, at least visible emotion and tears and agony that's described here. Well, what is the nature of what Jesus is agonizing over here? And I think it is this, and most commentators do agree, that the agony that Jesus is enduring now as He begins to consider the reality of what is going to transpire in His redemptive work. That is, that He is going to bear sin. He's going to have sin laid upon Him. And that bearing of that sin will bring upon it the wrath of divine justice. That the fury of God, His own Father, is going to be laid upon Him. And there will be this breach Of, of communion, of fellowship between God the Father and God the Son. I don't understand. I don't understand the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't understand how there can be a breach between when there is one God and there we understand one God and three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I don't understand how there can be a breach within the Godhead of God the Father and God the Son, but I know there's some sense in which it's true. And I think that's the agony that Jesus is experiencing, the reality that sin will be laid upon Him and the wrath of His Father will be placed upon Him and there's this breach in the fellowship between God the Father and God the Son. That is the weight. That is the agony that He is going through here. And we see here the the fervency with which He comes in prayer. Verse 44, And being in agony, He was praying very fervently. Have you prayed very fervently? And his sweat became like drops of blood. What does that mean? I think it means that what's called hematidrosis occurred. There was such intensity in his prayer that there was the mingling of perspiration and blood coming from his body. So intense was His prayer that the deepest agonies of Jesus Christ don't drive him to sleep. They drive him to prayer. 
drive him to God the Father. And we see here in this prayer just the, the transparency and the, the, the pure honesty of what we see here in verse 42. It says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. There's another mystery. That there is a, a will of desire to be free from what he's going to endure that Jesus expresses here. But it is submitted to the supreme will of desire and decree of God the Father. Not my will. Not what I would want in and of my own human flesh. Yours be done. There's an honesty there, isn't there? Sometimes we just need to be honest with God. And just say, God, I'm struggling with everything that you want from me. That's one reason I like the Psalms. Man, there's reality in the Psalms. I, 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 in fact, just yesterday I was reading and praying through some of the Psalms that were appropriate to where I just felt like what I needed. You know, there's no mask there. This guy, he's complaining against God. He's, I don't know, I don't know how long. You know, all the questions are there. There's resolution. There's resolution that is found. And coming as God meets. But there is an openness and an honesty in coming to God in prayer that you see here in the model of Jesus. But also in the models of the Psalms that gives us the freedom to come to God and just be honest. Lord, I'm not, I'm not this super spiritual giant that either I think I ought to be or I think everybody else think I ought to be or whatever. <laughs> I am struggling with everything. To be so honest with God. Not, I, I realize that we can be honest in what I would consider an irreverent and in blasphemous way. But simply to come as a child of God and say, Oh God, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with everything that's going on and I'm struggling because I'm struggling. The openness that we see here. Great anguish that Jesus experiences. Jesus resolved to pray. He knows that the only comfort to be found is in fellowship with and the dependence upon God the Father. If you don't go to God, where do you go? There's the words of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. That we be a people that are resolved to pray. If nothing else be accomplished, prayer will not be left undone. So what are the things in our lives that we are leaving undone spiritually? It's 
prayer one of the casualties of one of the casualties of your busy schedule? Is prayer one of the casualties of misplaced priorities? Is prayer one of those things that to us, great if I get it done, no big deal if I don't? That we be so resolute to pray. It will not be left undone. In times of great trial, we pray. In times of relative calm, we pray. That prayer be more than a matter of convenience. If it's convenient to my schedule, if it's convenient to my agenda, I will have a time of prayer. That prayer be more than a matter of duty. Well, I need to get my 15 minutes of quiet time in here. And we go through meaningless words, vain repetitions. That prayer be more than rote and empty words. Resolve to be a people who pray. Folks, I know we can talk about it. I know I wouldn't have any difficulty at all in, in finding agreement among us as a church family here of the importance of prayer. That if I say, well, what are three of the most important things that you do in your personal life spiritually? One of them in every list in this room will be prayer. So do you pray? Do you pray? To be a people who pray, who joy in communion with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I know some of you realize that I, I attended the little Bible school in Greenville, South Carolina, the Evangel Evangelical Institute, and just received word this past week that the director of that school, Joseph Carroll, he went to be with the Lord this week, this past, or last Thursday, actually. And Joseph Carroll wrote a book some years ago, How to Worship Jesus Christ. If you've not read that book, I would commend it to you. But thinking about Mr. Carroll and my own experience there with him, but also what was modeled before us in the life of, of godliness, this was a man who delighted in the presence of God. And he was a man that was stricken with Alzheimer's over the last few years of his life which, of course, is a deterioration of any memory. But even up to his last hours, he was speaking of his thoughts being on the Lord. It's amazing. As I thought of Mr. Carroll dying, I thought there is a man who is going very simply from one stage of glory to another. 
He's been living in the glorious presence of Christ for a number of years. Fellowship with his God, worshiping Christ. And he's simply now seeing that Lord whom he has loved unveiled. I thought, that's the way I'd like to go. To go from this life into the next life, to simply go from one level of the glorious presence of Christ to the next, (laughs) to the full expression of it. Folks, do we joy in our Savior, Jesus Christ? Is there joy to be found in the Lord in our hearts? Do we have the joy of communion with Him? Come to God. Come to Him in our feebleness, in our weakness. Folks, just lay it out. Lord, help. Confessing our weakness, confessing temptations, confessing our sin. We'll be resolved to pray. If I get nothing else done, nothing else done, I will pray. And third, that we see the prayers to be the ally of renewal. The ally of renewal. Jesus has experienced, as described here, this intense agony, this deep grief. But then, it's followed by what we would sense in the comments that he makes to his disciples as he comes to them this last time. There is a sense of of calm. Christ has come to the garden to pray. And he has been strengthened. How do we know that? Well, we know it because in verse 43 it says, An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. There's another mystery. He was strengthened. As he came to this time of prayer. And this angel that was sent, appearing to him, a ministering spirit, the angels are called, appropriate for Christ in his humanity. Strengthened by His presence, a reminder, where did this angel come from? It came from God the Father. As a reminder of the Father's care for Him. We see in Matthew's account, in Mark's as well, that Jesus prayed and He rose and He went to His disciples and He went back and He prayed again. He went back to His disciples and it says the Scriptures, it says He came a third time and prayed the same thing. You know, there is something there too. there of sometimes when we come in prayer and we come and we we open our hearts before God, it seems as though that we've not truly been met. Well, let me tell you what you need to do in that situation. Pray again. Seems I've I've got this this burden or I've got this weight upon me and and I prayed and I still feel this sense of weight and oppression from this thing. Here's what you need to do. Pray again took Jesus three times here. And he rises from prayer on this third time, having met with God and found renewed strength. 
And the hour that's now upon him is it's at hand, and he will not shrink back before his enemies. There's a new resolve and strength to press on in his redemptive work. Folks, much of the problem with our prayer life is we leave off prayer much too soon. You still sense the weight? Keep praying. You still sense the struggle? Keep praying. You still sense the, the battle of temptation? Keep praying. Don't stop. Keep praying. And let prayer be our ally that brings us to a point where eventually we sense that the Spirit of God has lifted the burden. There's a sense of knowing that, that God is able and that God has lifted it. And there's renewal that comes in that. You know, Jesus prayed three times in the garden. Paul prayed three times that the flesh, that the thorn from his flesh be removed. Three times before he got an answer. Now I'm not promoting for you a magical prayer number one, take a five minute break. Prayer no, that's what I'm promoting. I am promoting here a sense of understanding that there is something to come in with a sense of urgency and a burden before God. And if it's not lifted, we don't leave. Or we come back. Lord, this is it's still here. Rather than, well, I've tried praying and that didn't work. Let's try something else. Keep praying. Keep coming. Keep asking. Jesus, as He rises with a new resolve and a strength to press on in this redemptive work. We don't need to get the idea that Jesus went through what He went through as some type of an emotionless, stoical mindset. They didn't feel any pain, didn't have any emotion. No. He suffered. Hurt. Agony. Grief. Sorrow. There's a new resolve to press on in this work that God's called him to. The place where strength is renewed is by communion with and comforts from his Father. So let us see, likewise, that prayer is our ally to renewal. The flesh will always find reason not to pray. Surely I'm not the only one like that. Sometimes I become keenly aware of I need to pray and, man, i got 12 reasons all of a sudden why I shouldn't or can't. And if it's not the flesh, it's Satan. Satan's got a bag full of reasons why he shouldn't pray too, doesn't he? One of them being, you know, you really need to clean your act up a little before you think about going to God in prayer. Listen, you don't clean up your act and come to God in prayer. You come to God in your filth and your dirt and say, Lord, clean me up. I'm a mess. But our sinful hearts and our, and our, and our flesh and Satan have always got reasons not to pray. And folks, if you want to be renewed spiritually, it's going to happen in prayer, in communion with God. You're not going to fix yourself. 
Never happens. All you're going to do is go deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit of despair. I'm experienced in that. Anybody else? <laughs> oh, you guys have got it made. <laughs> Keep praying. See prayer as your ally to renewal. Prayer is not something that we must set aside and reserve it for those occasions that we have a sense that, that we're super spiritual so I can come to God in prayer. Man, prayer is for the filthy. Prayer is for the sinners. Prayer is for those who have a sense of desperation and need. Pray, brethren, pray. There's your ally to renew. You need to be renewed in your spirit, in your walk with God. Pray. Have I made it clear? Pray. <laughs> we must pray. In time of temptation, we must pray. The time of weakness, we must pray. The time of sin, we must pray. Come before God and pour out our hearts. And don't be in such a hurry to leave. Oh Lord, meet me. Just remember the experience. I know I've shared it with some of you some years ago when I was working. I was in college. I was doing a summer job and I was in a situation where I was I was asked to work on Sunday. As I wasn't asked, I was told I'd had to work on Sundays, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to be at church. But I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it. But I began to pray about it because I was heavy about it. And so as I was out one Saturday, I was working at the state park. I was out one Saturday with my weed eater going through the park and praying and thinking because I was, I was struggling with this issue of being able to be at worship on Sunday. And just in the midst of being out in the midst of the park with my weed eater, there was just a sense of it's taken care of. Nothing happened. But it was a sense where the weight of that prayer for that issue was, was removed. And I just began to, to, to have a sense where I could, well, thank you, Lord, that this is in your hands. And again, nothing has changed. I've got to be here tomorrow. It was a Saturday. Tomorrow I've got to be here. But just the weight was lifted. So next next day, Sunday, got up, said going to church, went to work. And the park director, I made a few rounds doing a few things to be done the first thing in the morning. The park director, superintendent, he came and he knew I was a Christian. He knew <laughs> I didn't want to be there on Sunday. I didn't I wasn't ugly about it, but he just said, I know you don't want to be here. He said, and you've done some things, but if you will just be on call and I lived right down the road from the park half a mile. If you'd be on call, if I need you here on Sunday, just take Sundays off. So I, I went home, got dressed, and went to church <laughs> right then. But there was just that sense, just as I thought back, and just that sense of the Lord lifted the weight of that burden on Saturday. Nothing had changed. But it was there that the sense of the Lord, I've heard you, I've answered. It's mine. And it, and it was taken care of the next day. But how many times have I've let off, I've left off in prayer? I've come to God with a burden and I've left God and I still have the burden. Come back.
pray again. And again. Pray. Keep praying. That is our ally to renewal. Prayer is a refuge for the soul. It's God's gift to us. We're going to stand in the time of temptation. We pray. Let us follow the model of Jesus. That we are resolved to pray. If nothing else be done. There was one intent on Jesus' mind and heart. He's going to pray. And then to be renewed as Christ was renewed. A new resolve. A new strength. A new grace. To walk in obedience to God's will. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks to you. That you know the weakness and the frailties of your people. And as desperate a people as we are. How little we pray. How utterly foolish of us that we do not pray. Yet our flesh and our enemy can cast reason upon reason about why we cannot or should not and must not pray. But Lord, what you've told us is to pray. Lord, help us. Oh Lord, that we be a people who pray. Let that be the resolve of our heart that we pray. That in the time of temptation that we pray. In that time of sensing that we need to be simply renewed in our spirit, renewed in our heart. Oh God, that we pray. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.